Good morning, Grace family. Uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. As Walt mentioned, we are going to be in the story of Jesus visiting Mary and Martha uh, this morning. Uh, before we jump into that, <clears throat> two Sundays ago, Jackson preached uh, the first part of Luke chapter 10, and he and Kenny coined a phrase in discussing that passage, found people, find people. Found people, find people. And, and I, I love that expression. And, and when he was preaching it, and since he's preached it, um, I have continued to think of, of this book. It's called Keeping Holiday by Star Mead. Maybe some of you have, have read it. Uh, if, if you have, you know what I'm talking about. This book, it's, um, it's Christian fiction, children, young adult literature. It's very Narnia-ish. And the whole point, it's, it's a fantastic story. Um, and the whole point of the story is found people, find people. So Ardils, are you still here? Did you guys duck out before? Okay, hey, this is for you. Looking at that picture of you guys and your kids, and you are found people on your way to finding people. Read this, bless them. I barely know you. Get in here. Thanks a lot. I love you. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> All right, <clears throat> this feels like an Eric Tonis moment. I don't normally do that. <laughs> uh, let's, do, uh, let's, let's do what we came to do. So uh, we're at the end of Luke chapter 10. Uh, in this story of Mary and Martha, I imagine it's uh, familiar to, to most of us. I want to try to start, we'll read it and pray in just a second, but I want to try to start by summarizing, if we, if we can, the, uh, the entire gist in, in a single sentence. So here's my best effort. One thing is necessary, that actually comes right out of verse 42. One thing is necessary, and that is to receive from Jesus what he alone has to give and what we uniquely need from him. I'll say that one more time. One thing is necessary, and that is to receive from Jesus what he alone has to give and what we uniquely need from him. So we'll spend the rest of our time unpacking that. Let's go to God's word. Uh, Luke 10, picking it up in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. <clears throat> and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we ask that in the moments to come that you would help us to sit at your feet and to be riveted by the one thing necessary right now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So uh, just to kind of situate our passage in its larger uh, context, Randy helped us with this last week. So two Sundays ago, Jackson preached, and it was largely about the identity of Jesus, who he is, and then the parable on the Good Samaritan uh, is about responding to Jesus, and, and, then, and then our passage today relating to Jesus. And I think if we move that forward into the three passages, so uh, Good Samaritan last Sunday, Mary Martha this Sunday, and then uh, Lord's Prayer, learning how to pray next Sunday. So I think if we take those three passages, I think they work kind of like a sandwich, right? So you got, you got two slices of bread, so um, Good Samaritan and Lord's Prayer, and in between the two slices of bread is the meat, uh, which I think is our passage. And, and, and so um, here's what I mean by that. So, so let's shift metaphors from sandwich to breathing. Stay with me, it'll make sense. So, so here, here's what I mean. So, so, so our passage today, the Mary Martha passage, is the inhale. It's the inhale of God's love that on either side of the inhales is exhaled, right, last Sunday in, in love of neighbor and Christian service. And then next Sunday, it is, it's exhaled back out in prayerful dependence on the Lord. So our prayer life, right, is fueled by what we intake from Jesus, and our lives of, of neighbor-loving service, right, is, is exhaled. It's not just generic sort of humanitarianism, is it? It's exhaled out of <coughs> our prior intake of the love of the Lord. So our passage in particular, verses 38 to 42, Small little paragraph. I think it unfolds in three steps. It's, it's, it's good storytelling in, in, in one sense. There's a progression. There's the setting of the stage. There's the introduction of tension, and then there, there's the climax uh, at the end. The climax, I think the main point comes when we get to verse 42, but we're going to work our way through all of it. In the first two verses, uh, verses 38 and 39, we read these just a moment ago. Uh, we set the stage. Jesus arrives. Mary sits and listens at Jesus' feet, and we come to discover that Martha all the while is busily, even frantically serving. These, these verses are not the primary point of the passage, but they do help us correct a misconception. So one of the things you need to keep in mind is that this passage is, is occurring at a time in which women did not receive formal teaching from a rabbi. Okay, they didn't receive formal teaching. And, and yet, Jesus here in this passage, he welcomes, he endorses, he embraces Mary's receptive discipleship. So the clear takeaway here is that all Christians, male Christians, female Christians, are called to be lifelong disciples under the tutelage of Jesus and the authority of his word. Now, that is a companion truth to the truth that scripture elsewhere teaches that offices of spiritual leadership like that of elder are limited to otherwise qualified men, okay? Scripture teaches both of those truths. It doesn't teach one or the other, it teaches both. And, 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 and you might wonder, well, how or why does it teach both? And that's a great question to ask. I think there are good reasons for that. It would take another sermon to unpack it. We're not preaching that sermon today. We're preaching today's sermon. So here's today's point from verses 38 and 39. Women are disciples of Jesus. They must 
must be students of the word. And they participate in ministering the word and ministering according to the word. In fact, Mary is put forward here as modeling a beautiful picture of discipleship, right? Um, when we did the, uh, the parable on uh, the soils back from Luke chapter 8, we would have called what Mary is doing in this passage good soil hearing, right? She's a, she's a picture, she's a model uh, of that. In fact, did you notice that she is, she's sitting at Jesus' feet, which in uh, rabbinical custom in the ancient world, that is what students did, right? Students of rabbis sat and learned at the feet of their rabbi. You can, you don't have to look there now, uh, but in Acts 22, Paul talks about how he himself was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. And so this would have been a common practice. But more, more than just reflecting a physical posture, what she's doing in sitting at Jesus' feet reflects a posture of her heart. Uh, Spurgeon, I found out in the last couple, he must have really liked this passage because he preached four or five sermons on it. Um, in one of those sermons, he said that her posture, what, 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 what is, more, so than, more so than her physical posture, what it's reflecting is the posture of her heart. Here's how he put it. Sitting at Jesus' feet indicated, in Mary's case, a readiness to believe what the Savior taught, to accept and to obey, nay, to delight in the precepts which fell from his lips. A little bit further on, he continues and says, sitting at the feet of Jesus also signifies love. She knew how he had loved her, and therefore each syllable was music to her soul. Nice quote. <clears throat> Imagine literally sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? How, uh, how, how transfixed with attention would we be if we had that opportunity at the feet of the incarnate Jesus? And of course, we need to be reminded that it's the same Lord's voice in the pages of Scripture. So the question for us is, do we attend to his voice in Scripture like Mary was attending to his voice in person? <clears throat> and, and obviously, right, again, the point of the posture is not, well, I guess I should sit on the floor when I read my Bible. Right, that's not the point. <clears throat> the point is that we need to go to the Word with the same kind of eager receptivity that Mary uh, displayed when she is, she's fixated on Jesus's word. So then as we move into uh, the next couple of verses, uh, the tension builds, we encounter Martha's complaint to Jesus about Mary, and we get the first part of Jesus's uh, response to her. So her error seems to be uh, an error of thinking that Jesus came to her house mainly to be served, probably to be served uh, a meal, among other things. And, and at one level, we, we can understand, right? We can understand Martha's thinking in this, in this moment. This is a big deal, culturally speaking, to be a host, right? It's a big, and and, and not, just, not just hosting anybody, hosting Jesus. So you can, you can understand this is you, a tremendous honor, a tremendous responsibility, and the, 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 act, the muscle that gets activated that says, get to work, in the mind of Martha, that's, that makes sense. That's why, as we'll see in a minute, Jesus is so gentle with her. He is going to tell her that she's off base. 
but her motives are pure. So the truth is, right, broadly speaking, that Jesus came ultimately, this is Mark 10, 45, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In that sense, the reason for Jesus' coming in the incarnation is to meet the deepest need that we have by the laying down of his life in a sacrificial offering for sinners. But that's not, just, that's not just broadly true, right? That's not just true in the broad picture. It's true in this passage as well. In fact, right, this is the main reason that Jesus came to her house. It's the main reason that Jesus came to anyone's house. The main reason Jesus visited anyone was to give of himself primarily. And so Martha is assuming that her primary task is to feed him. But do you remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4? It's not our passage, but, but I think thematically it, it, it fits. In John 4.10, he's asked her for water. In John 4.10, he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He goes on to explain that well water, however refreshing it may be in the moment, inevitably leads to thirst in the future. And he claims to offer a kind of water that satisfies to the point of never thirsting again. Whatever meal she would prepare for him, he has a better one for her. Now, Martha's complaint, it's a complaint over a frustrated personal agenda. Again, on the surface, it seems pretty commendable. In her angst and her distraction, she snaps at Jesus. Lord, don't you care? Do something basically what she's saying. Now, we don't, we don't need to be too harsh here because our sin often reveals itself in that same kind of sniping at Jesus, doesn't it? You, 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 don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but we can probably fill in the mental blanks with examples in our own lives of how we have said, Lord, if you cared, you would have done X by now, right? Friends, it is the case that precisely because Jesus loves us, precisely because Jesus loves us, he must at times not only not promote our agendas, but actively oppose them when we get our one thing wrong. Uh, for years, I have uh, been teaching a class at Biola on uh, theolo a theology of marriage, and there's a quote uh, that I've been using in the class from, from Paul Tripp that I, I find very helpful. It is a quote that does, its direct point of application is to marriage, but I think you can, right, we can, we can sort of adapt and personalize it as we look at it together. It applies to everyone who has a secondary good, a secondary blessing, right? So a good, right, a, Martha's not frustrated because Jesus won't let her rob a bank, right? She has a good mission in mind. Is tr this is true for everyone who has some good desire that is not the greatest need, right, and finds that, that frustrated. So this is, I don't know if I mentioned, this is Paul Tripp, super helpful. So here's what he says. Uh, it's, a, it's a paragraph or two, so hang in there. I, I think it, it's helpful. He says, God's grace purposes to expose and free you 
from your bondage to you. His grace is meant to bring you to the end of yourself so that you will finally begin to place your identity, your meaning and your purpose, and your inner sense of well-being in him. So he places you in a comprehensive relationship with another flawed person. Oh, come on. Did my battery die? Philip, I'll let you advance that. Thank you. And he places that relationship right in the middle of a very broken world. You can advance the slide. To add to this, he designs circumstances for you that you never would have designed for yourself. Can you resonate with that? Whether, whether marriage or otherwise. You'd never, you'd never draw these up. You can advance the slide. Oh, you did. All this is meant to bring you to the end of yourself because that is where true righteousness begins. Next slide. He wants you to give up. He wants you to abandon your dream. This is my insert. Here's why. It's not big enough. Whatever secondary good thing we think we must have, however good it is, isn't big enough. Next slide. He wants you to face the futility of trying to manipulate the other person into your service. Martha's trying to manipulate Jesus into her service. Jesus, go tell Mary get, to get to work. He knows there is no life to be found in these things. What does this practically mean? It mean okay, here's, here, here's the gold. It means that the trouble that you face in your marriage or, you know, fill in the blank, right? finances, job, uh, relationships with children, whatever. The trouble that you face in your marriage is not an evidence of the failure of grace. Next slide. No, these troubles are grace. They are tools God uses to pry us out of the stultifying confines of the kingdom of self so that we can be free to luxuriate in the big sky glories of the kingdom of God. You see the contrast there? Two kingdoms. One is too small. It doesn't have the gravitational force to hold life, let alone the universe, together. Almost done. Next slide. This means that you and I will never understand our marriages and never be satisfied with them until we understand that marriage is not an end in itself. Uh, no, the reality is that marriage has been designed by God to be a means to an end. Next, two, next one, when you make it the end, bad things happen. But when you begin to understand that it is a means to an end, then you begin to enjoy and see the value in things that you would not have been able to enjoy before. So there, there, is, there is some adjustment in, in Martha's thing. You can go ahead and put it back to the other screen that needs to take place here. She's dislodged what is most necessary with what she thinks is most necessary. So in Jesus's response to Martha down in verse 41, he is so patient and gentle, even as he is about to affirm Mary's choice. He compassionately addresses her, he uses her name twice, Martha, Martha. That's not condescending like you foolish one, that's shepherding. Like, come with me, right? <clears throat> you are anxious and troubled about many things. <laughs> Again, she's not distracted by bad things, but she is overwhelmed while missing the main thing. 
And that's something that we easily do ourselves. Uh, a few years ago, our family was taking a cross-country uh, road trip, and uh, we loaded up a uh, sermon series that Tim Keller had done on the Psalms, and, and our goal was to try to listen to when you're putting in se- you know, seven to nine hours a day in the car, something like that, and, uh, and we'd try to start each morning by listening to one as a family and discussing it and praying through it, and it was a great series. And uh, one, as uh, Tim Keller, I think I said that. Uh, anyway, uh, one of the sermons he preached was on Psalm 3, and the sermon was entitled Praying Our Fears. I recommend it. It's actually, I checked, it's available for free on his, on his uh, website. Um, I think it's Gospel in Life, so you might want to check it out. Anyway, Praying Our Fears. And one of the, one of the points he made uh, in that message was he used this terminology. He said, anxiety is smoke. Anxiety is smoke. And, and, and what he's getting at, right, where there's smoke, there's fire. So the smoke of our anxiety signals our perception that somewhere in some way we have a treasure that is vulnerable, that is under threat. Maybe it's on fire. Maybe it's, maybe it's burning. And when our anxiety, right, smokes out in that way, it, it, it can be a form of saying, Lord, you don't care. Or if you cared, you wouldn't let my treasure burn, right? Here's the point that he's, that he's making in the passage, and I do think it's very helpful. Any treasure, any agenda that we have outside of Christ is vulnerable. It is. Every other treasure, it's finite. Even if it's good, it's finite. It won't last forever. So Jesus knows that the only real security comes from having an invulnerable treasure. And there's only one of those. Now, the good news is that with the smoke of Martha's anxiety or your anxiety or my anxiety, we can use that, right? We can, we can use the, 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 the presence of that smoke in our lives to... Uh, to, to, to draw some conclusions about where we might have misplaced preoccupations. And that can lead us to repentance. That can lead us to resting in the abiding, loving Christ. I, I would encourage you uh, to take some time this afternoon. And one of two things, if you can think of some areas where, not, 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 not perfectly, but you can, you can detect that there's progress in your life and in terms of how the Lord has shepherded you through some of your anxieties, some of your anxious smoke, I'd encourage you to spend some time giving thanks for that. If you think about anxiety as smoke and I don't know that I've been very successful in following the Lord through that, then then spend some time asking him. Maybe you have a specific anxiety in mind to shepherd you uh, in in that experience. Well, as we move down now into verse 42, the second part of Jesus' response to to Martha, we see his explicit affirmation of Mary's choice. Let Let me read verse 42 again for us. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, again, Jesus, he, Jesus isn't saying Martha's bad. He's not saying service is bad. He's not saying because one thing is necessary, you shouldn't ever do anything else. How do we know that? This comes right after the parable of the Good Samaritan. Of course you should do other stuff. 
Clearly, clearly, love of neighbor is not optional. But specifically, as we were mentioning earlier, specifically Christian love of neighbor grows out of the intake of the one thing necessary in the same way that the second great commandment follows and grows out of the first great commandment. As he establishes that priority, Jesus says that Mary has chosen the good portion. That's a, that's a figurative way of describing a different kind of meal than the one that Martha is working so hard to prepare. I read a, uh, <clears throat> a sermon this week by the Puritan preacher Richard Sibbs called Mary's Choice. It's a great sermon on this passage. Here's how he put it. I, I love this expression. He said, Martha thought that Christ came to be feasted when he came to feast them, right? (laughs) Martha thought Christ came to be feasted when he came to feast them. In other words, the meal that Jesus is making is both better and more needed than any other kind. Now, I'd be willing to bet that Jesus is probably thinking of Deuteronomy 8.3 as he's making this point. Remember that passage? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is, a ver- this is a verse that is precious to Jesus because it's a verse that he cited to Satan in the wilderness when Satan is tempting him to end his hunger and turn stones to bread. Jesus says there is, even after 40 days, he says there's better food, right? And he's teaching Martha this lesson as well. And, 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 he, and, he, and, and, and he says that, that when you have received his word and his, and his love, as your central good, Martha, he's going to say that, that that won't be taken away. And I think, at, le- at least, may- maybe directly, but at least by application, I think that means like never, ever, ever, ever taken away. You remember Jesus, again, his comments about living water in John 4, he says that he is the living water that wells up to eternal life if you receive the love of the Lord in the word of God as your deepest treasure, as your one thing necessary, because of what Jesus has done to speak a word of mercy to you, that forges a bond that cannot be broken, that will not be taken. See, we're not just thinking about reading the Bible as a duty, right? We're thinking about going to God's word in a way that receives and embraces God's love to us in Christ. That is what we were made for. And here's a little secret. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows they were made to be loved by God. Everyone aches for that. They might not put it in that phraseology. They might not understand that they know it but everyone is motivated by the search for that love and security, even if they wouldn't say it that way. So it really is true, right, that our greatest need is to build our lives around inhaling and feasting on the love of Christ through his word. His word is a multifaceted blessing to us. We never get beyond the need of it. Uh, His word will come into you so many different expressions of his care. There's, in his word, you'll find tenderness and and warning and invitation and admonition and encouragement and doctrinal demand. 
it beckons us to come to him in first faith, right? For the very first time. And if you haven't done that, if you're hearing these words today and you've never come to Christ as your savior to receive his love and mercy, we would love to talk to you about that. The word of God uh, ushers us along the path of discipleship to Jesus from the moment of first faith all the way home. And so given that, that need, right, the urgency of that need, we should purposefully, we should strategically, we should intentionally build the priority of inhaling this word, of feasting on this word into our lives on a daily basis and a weekly basis. You know, you've, uh, you've probably heard productivity uh, gurus over the years, um, you know, say, you know, attend to the big rocks first. I don't even know who invented the expression, but I've seen videos, and it makes sense. Uh, he's a guru who's got a, uh, he's got a table, and there's an empty container, and, and then on the table there's boulders the size of basketballs, and there's stones the size of your fist, and tennis balls and golf balls and gravel and sand and blah, 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 okay? So uh, the way the illustration usually works is that to prove the point, they throw all the other stuff except the boulders in first, sand, gravel, golf balls, tennis balls, right? Okay, and then you try to find room for the boulders, it doesn't work. What's the point? The point is put the big rocks in first. So they redo the illustration. You take the big old boulders, you put them in the container, then you dump everything around it, right? You dump everything else around it, and the other stuff will fit into the cracks. It's not the, 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 that pro, the, the point is not, you know, enhance your personal productivity. The point is that the love of Christ received in the word of God is the biggest need we have, and we cannot afford to bypass it. <clears throat> there are so many other words, and they are coming at us all the time, and they want to form your identity. Advertising words, news feeds, influencers, the words of friends, the words of fools, the words of self-promotion, the words of self-pity, some words that are shouted, some words that are whispered, words, 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 and these words alone are the words of life. We have a desperate need to give these words the upper hand, right? Because of that, um, my friend, Ken Birding, I'm not giving this one away in this service. I'm giving it away in the next service. I only have so many books. Uh, my, fin my friend Ken Birding, he teaches New Testament at, uh, at, at, uh, at Talbot, uh, Biola. He's got a great little book called Bible Revival, Recommitting Ourselves uh, to One Book. He, re he recommends as a, as a rule of thumb, when, when you right, compare the words that are coming at you and ver versus the words we're inhaling in the one thing necessary, he says as a, as a rule of thumb, given all of that uh, word assault, I guess, so to speak, that, that we, we need this at, at a minimum, at a minimum we need to be eating this more so than we're eating the words of, you know, whatever message is coming to us in television or social networking. And if you hear that and you go, wow, that, that, that sounds, that sounds kind of radical. That sounds intense. Think about it in terms of which words we are allowing to have the upper hand in conforming us to their mold. All right, so let me pose two questions for reflection. Um, there's some sub-reflection, <laughs> sub-points for reflection here as well, but two, two overarching questions. Uh, the first one, 
How are we doing sitting at Jesus' feet? Listening to his word. Receiving his care. If the answer for you is good, doing, doing pretty good. That is great. Praise the Lord. Press on. If the answer for you is not so great, then maybe we could consider for a moment uh, at least a few uh, things that, that might be holding you back. There are more than, just a few, more than just the ones I'll mention, but here's a few. Uh, first, directly related to our passage, uh, maybe busyness. Are you, you held back from the one thing necessary because you're busy, maybe even busy in some kind of ministry endeavor like Martha. You know, when you give, your fr- when you give the first fruits of your time to the Lord, just like when you give the first fruits of your finances to the Lord, you have to trust the Lord for what he'll do with the rest of it, the rest of your money, the rest of your time. That's a good place to be because that's a dependent place to be, isn't it? It involves learning uh, to say no to some otherwise good things so that we can consistently say yes to what is most needed. I know that some of you guys are type A go-getters. You like to get things done. You like to do it all. It's a humbling reminder, isn't it? Again, humbling is good. It's a humbling reminder. We're not God. You can't have it all. You weren't supposed to. But we must choose what is essential. So maybe, if that's you, you could give some time to prayerfully considering where you can cut back right, in order to prioritize what is most necessary. Maybe that's not you. Maybe your impediment is you've got great intentions to receive the feasting of the Lord and his word, and when you go to it, you find that it's just ruined by wandering distractions. So here's a few thoughts. So uh, some of these are just really basic. You may have already thought of them, but When the time comes to feast on the word, put the phone on do not disturb. That's low-hanging fruit, right? But almost anything else in your life and in the world can wait on that moment. When you are giving your attention to your good shepherd, almost everything else can wait. Uh, A lot of people have recommended over the years, you sit down for your your time of of Bible reading and meditation and prayer, you know, maybe maybe put a little scratch pad on the table beside you so when things, distractions come to mind, you can just dispatch them, put them down on the scratch pad, set them aside, you know, deal with those later. If you, you, right, if you just continue to bump into those distractions, one of the things you can do is you, you can take that as an opportunity to bring that burden to the Lord. It could be, a, I mean, it could be what, what, what might maybe seems as silly as, Lord, I, I just can't get, I can't, I can't get the laundry out of my mind. I got to get it in, I got to switch it over, I got to fold it, I got to put it back. Laundry, la- right. Lord, I need to be giving my attention to your word. Please fix my gaze. If you are um, <coughs> highly distractible, you're, you probably won't go from highly distractible to laser focused one time, right, in one, so just, you know, keep at it. You're, uh, think of yourself, think of it as, as, as an exercise in tilling the soil of your heart to make it more receptive to the word each time you go back. A couple of others, real quick, uh, writing, writing. Maybe you, maybe you would consider writing your, um, 
prayers or some of your meditation. It'll, it'll slow you down, but it'll probably also increase your focus. And, and, and in this sense, slow isn't bad. But right, if slow enhances attention, it's not a bad thing at all. Uh, you can use your body postures like Mary did to direct your heart. You could try kneeling in prayer, maybe sitting at a table instead of wallowing in a bed. Uh, you could try fasting to sharpen the perception of your need for food that doesn't perish, all kinds of things, right? Uh, maybe, so maybe you're not a, wrestling with distractions so much. Maybe, I know some people think this way, maybe there are some, some today who feel like, you know what, <clears throat> I got, I've got a handle on the main stuff. I got a, I got a main handle on, on uh, you know, my, my fire insurance policy, so to speak, and uh, I don't really need to revisit it that often. I got, I got the essential stuff. Remember the connection to Deuteronomy 8.3. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How would our physical health fare if we said, sort of similarly to, to this obstacle, if we said, you know what? I hydrated pretty good a couple of days ago. I don't really see the need to, it's, see, friends, we, we bypass this priority at our peril. We think we're okay coasting for a while until you find out that you're not. Well, no doubt there are other impediments, um, and, and those are just a few. Hopefully, if you have other ones that weren't described, you could continue discussing them in grace groups or at lunch and I know the leaders of the church, if you have questions uh, about how to engage your scriptures more helpfully, they'd love to talk with you. Have coffee, um, you know, sit down and, and, and diagnose and, and recommend. Okay, uh, second question here. Where to start and um, how to press on? So just three things. <coughs> First, one of the places we can start is by asking the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the treasure of God's word, to a tr the treasure that it is, uh, that, would, that would keep us increasing in our appetite for the treasure of being loved by the Lord. Let me see if this works. Yeah, there you go. Let's, you take it, we're not going to look at any of those, but just a few passages that you might want to reflect on later that describe, help us to have greater appreciation. I'll leave that up. Um, if you want to take it down or take a picture, but, but, th but that help us appreciate the treasure of what God's word actually is. You might, might, might be encouraged to read through some of those uh, later on today. Remember, the only word that the Lord owes us is a word of judgment, and yet Jesus paid the debt to speak to us words of mercy and life. So the, so the fact that these words, right, would be provided for us, it's a not only is it the one thing necessary, it's a treasure beyond what we could ask or imagine. Second, <coughs> a few months ago, we did the parables of the soil. Um, I, I recommended the ask, linger, share prompts. I'm not going to revisit those. If, if, if you'd like to know more, you know, the sermon archives are, are available. Uh, I think they're a useful starting point, right, for getting the seed of the word down deep into our lives, certainly not the only tools and so the point is, 
the point is that a tool like, the, the, point, the purpose of a tool like that is not follow a formula. That's not the point, right? If those were helpful, great. If not, use, use something else. The point is we need to move beyond mere reading of the scriptures into a deep savoring that recognizes these are the most necessary words in my life. If I read like that, I'll read differently than, you know, scrolling through the headlines. <coughs> Thirdly, back to my friend, Ken Birding. So uh, one last, one last uh, recommendation, um, scripture memory. Scripture memory can help you take the savoring of God's, God's word with you throughout the day. And the uh, only thing I'll, I'll recommend here, he's got an appendix. It's a two and a half page appendix in the back of this book. And the appendix is entitled, The Easiest Way to Memorize the Bible. So I'll just leave it at that. If that's something that, uh, that you'd like to explore, you might want to check that out. It's Bible Revival by Ken Birding. Okay, if you're just starting out on this journey with Christ, then start and faithfully take whatever the next step is. But do not assume that the first baby step is enough or that it's all you'll ever need to do. We can spend our entire lives and never exhaust the richness of the word of Christ. The more you consume it, the more you'll come to understand your need for it. So here's the, uh, at least for me, the final charge for this week. Let Jesus feast you in his word this week. He has told you that is the one thing necessary. Let's pray. Lord, your word is indeed a feast. In some cases, we're famished because we don't recognize it. So we ask that you would increase our appetite for the true and better food of your word that ushers us in the direction of the better blessing of intimacy with you through the mercies of Jesus. Pray that you would be exalted as we taste and see our need and your provision uniting in the word this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.